I think they're hilarious. So I don't want to say I want to go to the box, but uh, you know, maybe there'll be a confrontation there that's pretty funny. I like you, but you've gone too far. Show a little class. If the glass wasn't there, would you do it? I don't think so. We get some chuckles on the bench when we look over and we see them, uh, you know, upside down on the glass. They're pretty comedic and, and uh, it's pretty funny. We simply have had enough of looking at the rear ends and their crotches. They've been more than a pain in the neck to almost every team that has played here. Smart enough. You look like jerks. They're good guys. Don't be mean. Be green. Son of a bitch. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Green Man Radio right here on Sportsnet 650, powered by Pastime Sports and Games, their new location in Metrotown. My name is Adam Forsyth, a.k.a. Force, joined as always by Ryan Sullivan, a.k.a. Sully. We are the two green spandexed idiots who used to antagonize people beside the penalty box at those Canuck games back in the day. Remember us? Well, now we got a radio show. Someone made a very horrible decision. And yes. here we are. And this is episode five of Green Man Radio. So the lights are still on. I can't believe they haven't kicked us off the air yet. Uh, <laughs> it, it is unreal. It's been a lot of fun. And Green Man Radio making a lot of headlines last week for our episode, an interview with Brad May. Yeah, that was the second interview on the show. We started things out with Ed Jovanovsky. Uh, the great guest lineup continues, but yeah, we got into it a little bit with Brad and just chatting about like the Steve Moore incident back in the day, which of course he was on the ice for and and he was actually fantastic in that game as well. He even mentioned that was the game of his career, putting up two goals, a couple fights. Uh, but anyhow, he, he kind of said things from the other side. Um, you know, I mean, obviously Todd Bertuzzi, good buddy of his. And so he was like saying, you know, how like the effect on Bert, everyone looks back that they think of the effect on Moore, but he's saying, yeah, you know, there's... He went through some stuff as well, and yes. it was very enlightening, to so say the least. If you missed it, Brad May definitely going all in. At one point, he used the word insurance scam, and um, it, it definitely caught the eye of a few people. I think it's what a lot of people think. They just don't say. Yeah. And Brad May was not backing down, so we really appreciate it because he, he is a goldmine. It, it, was, it was a great interview, but uh, I, I just want to throw it out there. I mean, if anybody, you know, thinks... A little, uh, thinks differently of Brad May, you shouldn't because the guy is an absolute gem. He's a gentleman and he's doing some great work. And he's coming here for the Canucks Autism Network Pro-Am as well. He's helping raise money for a great cause. So he's a really good guy. And we have some breaking news on Green Man Radio because he's not the only guy coming to town for a big event in the Vancouver scene. Sully, what's coming up at Pastime Sports and Games in just a couple of weeks? This Canucks 50th season just keeps delivering gem after gem after gem. And Pastime Sports, here we go. You heard it here first. February 9th, 11 a.m. The new location, it's beautiful in Metropolis at Metrotown. Marcus Nasland will be in attendance signing whatever you have. If you've got a birthday in February, you're laughing if you got a sweet two-piece stick like Nazzy back in the day, a photo, a jersey, he is there, pen in hand, ready to rock. So Marcus Naslin, an autograph event. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Like in that, the flesh. I guarantee I will be there because th- he's one of my all-time favorite players. Incredible, man. One of the best captains of all time. So in kind of colors. And I think is that maybe a slight hint? I don't know if he was maybe supposed to reveal this Ken crew down at pastime, because I think that gives it away that why is Naslin in town? What what's happened that week? Mm. I believe there might be a Sedin for Jersey uh, retirement. A bit of a Swedish connection. Yeah, a little ceremony there. Yeah. So there we go. We're going newsbreakers two weeks in a row. Marcus Naslin <laughs> going to the Sedin or Jersey retirement. 
Yeah, we're, we're just dropping absolute breaking news bombs here left, right, and center. But that's a great event. Go to Pastime Sporting Games. They have a Facebook page. They have Twitter. They have the website, and they have all the details there. But again, Marcus Naslin, February 9th at 11 a.m., an autograph event. Always going to be epic. Yeah, and we thank him, as always, for powering this show, keeping the lights on, keeping us on the air here. Now, let's get to, uh, you know, this, this past weekend. In Vancouver, this week will stand out on the calendar as, you know, Snow Central. It has been absolutely crazy in Va- for Vancouver standards. Let's yeah, snowpocalypse. Yeah, but if you go up a little bit up the Coquihalla Highway, you can find some absolute gems like you did this past weekend. Yeah, we had epic weekends of our own. I'll start things off because I want to yeah. recap my week. We have an annual Pond Hockey Classic. It's the fourth annual Lac Lejeune Pond Hockey Invitational. Myself and 11 other buddies, and we have this thing down pat. We have a two teams, six players per team. We have pond hockey, and we have all these different events. We have relays. We have beer kegs, and we do flip cup relays. It is such a fun tournament. Freezing this year, definitely the coldest. It was minus 30 on the Sunday. Crazy. But we also went and bought some knockoff Pittsburgh Penguins and Washington Capitals jerseys. Uh, I got Sidney Crosby. There was Lemieux. There was Yager, and I was the captain of my team. They look pretty legit, though. My, they looked really good, right? Good knockoffs. Yeah, they were great yeah. knockoffs because there are some bad ones out there. You Not just go to a Canuck game and yeah. knockoffs. Because there's some major jersey fouls out there, but you can find a good one. Yeah, essentially, you you're rolling the dice when you order from like a very like yeah. Alibaba or like, you know. Yeah. But it worked out and they are fantastic jerseys and we had such a good time. And yeah, I mean, we're all really, really close buddies. We all drive each other nuts. There's tons of gambling, tons of stuff going on. And the caveat of that trip is you know you're going to be up until like four in the morning because there's people playing poker. There's people yelling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The one insane thing that I refuse to participate in is but they call them egg bets. And it's <laughs> it's absolutely disgusting. If you lose, say, I, I think I can score on you here or I can shoot the puck in then or I can win this game, this card game. You know, I, I, I bet you a, a raw egg. And then you, these guys were eating raw eggs with the shell. But oh. if they wanted to get out of that bet, they could dye their hair blonde. The Harold Drukin. The Harold Drukin. And so it was disgusting. One guy had lost the bet. It was actually regarding the Packers-Seahawks game. He was really worried because if the Packers lost, he was going to have to dye his hair blonde. And uh, he had to call his wife and say, like, look, here's the situation. She's like, I will absolutely divorce you. That's that's not happening. So <laughs> that was the case. And then also I, I wanted to play this song because it's been stuck in my head for 48 hours now and I want to Torment you guys. Uh, the the go-to-bed lyrics, Mom's I call downstairs and it. It's, too. it's an absolute nightmare. Hey, it's Ace just of Base? me and you. It is Ace of Base. I'll no, it's called Hey Buster. To the top Go to bed. <laughs> and oh, again, no, at about 3 a.m., our ringleader, Kevin Wallingford, would try to be the dad of the group, say, guys, go to bed, and he would just play this song and hide the remote, and we had to listen to it for about an hour before we finally dispersed on repeat. See, the lyrics are growing on us. Yeah, that's something. So it, it's rough, but uh, I, that music I hope was not played on your weekend because you were also in the oh interior. Gosh. I, I feel like, I mean, we should just pack it up. We should go make kids' songs or write kids' books or something uh, because like, I feel like, I mean, that doesn't even have to make sense. It makes no I heard a noise. <laughs> a bump. Yeah, like something went bump. Doesn't make any sense. Go to bed. Oh, my uh, it's, gosh. I, that song's going to be stuck in my head forever. So there you go. I'm so sorry, Green Man Radio fans, but... Yeah, that's I had to put that on you guys. That's, that's <laughs> I didn't know what I heard that song. I'm guessing 60 times in oh. a 48 hour span this week. Oh God, 
Oh, that's yeah. awful. Uh, how about you, though? You were up in, in Big White outside of Kelowna for a little bit of a ski trip with the boys. Uh, that's right. It was Big Stu McCauley's stag party. So we went up to Big White, which was a big drive because uh, the snow was coming down. So obviously a little more cautious on the Coca Highland and whatnot. Uh, but anyhow, we got up there. I've never been up there before. I've just heard the legends. And what a what an amazing mountain and resort that thing is. I mean, Whistler is great, too. I only have the two, really, for reference. But Whistler, like, if you're going down a run, you're going down that run. There's not a lot of points where you can, like, intersect with, with other slopes and stuff like that. And, like, Big Way was just set up in such an amazing way. There's tons of powder up there. We had, like, a ski-in, ski-out kind of place we were staying at. Uh, so, like, you know, you got the hot tub out there at night as well. Like, it was just, everything was perfect. And then we had a great... Uh, noise complaint on the second night. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, so I think we owe an extra 250 or something because uh, we're up till 4 in the morning blaring, like, pursuit of happiness. <laughs> yeah, so go to bed. Uh, so the house version, um, I don't know. There was, like, uh, Hadouken Levitate. You ever hear that? Song? No. It's a great tune. It's a good party tune. Um, like, I'm not a big, like, techno guy myself, but we were just blaring it. It was, uh... See, the key to, like, the Lac Lejeune Pond Hockey Classic is in yeah. the middle of nowhere. Tiny little lake between Kamloops and Merritt. No one around. Oh, you're so laughing. We as loud as we want. Yeah. It, there was, like, one other couple there, and they said that we were too quiet. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> That's... Well, the thing with, like, the house rules on this place was that it was 11 p.m. is when you got to shut. Like, there can be no noise after 11 p.m. And so you know, the people below us too, I think they were kind of sticklers. It was probably like 1101 and they heard like a board crack or something. And they're like, all right, nope, that's it. Uh, we're shutting her down. So are you sure it was 1101 or maybe 401? It might've been 401. I'll gladly pay the fine though. No problem. Can't put a price in a good time. And it was a hell of a time. All right. Well, that brings us to, because I have a feeling that after this weekend, we were both, we were feeling a little rough. A lot of Advil, mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, a little Ben Gay. A little A535. Some Ben Gay. No, no, no. I've always been a Voltaren guy. I don't know what that is. You mentioned it last week and now this week. The Voltaren gel. It, it, you know, I don't know what, I don't know if it goes into your pores and then into your your muscle or your cartilage. I don't know, but it, it does the trick, buddy. Oh, yeah. It's uh, cooling. Uh, it's cooling? It's a cooling. Does it sensation? bring the heat after? It's some icy hot. I don't think so. It just cools. All right. Well, we both need all of the above because we, we were we, strugg- we were yeah. struggling the last couple of days. The injury report brought to you by Berard Physiotherapy. Life comes at you fast. The holiday hangover may not be the only injury you're nursing this new year, whether it's falling off a bar stool, did that this weekend, or falling off your bike, I did not. The team at Berard Physiotherapy is ready to keep you in action. The therapists at Berard Physio know what it feels like to get knocked down on the mat. We also know how to get you back on your feet to kick off 2020. Located in the heart of downtown Vancouver, Berard Physiotherapy, the home of rehab you can trust. Remember, at Berard Physio, you are in the right hands. The injury report will be about an injury that did not happen, but it should have because it was very close. It could have. It could have, not yes. should have, I suppose. <laughs> Sorry, yes. Thank you for catching me there. Yeah, yeah. I want to get into this whole Matthew Kuchuk, Zach Cassian chaos. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's been the talk of the hockey world, but somehow, if you missed it, on Saturday night, Zach Cassian was on the receiving end of several massive hits by Matthew Kachuk. Cassian then went absolutely ballistic and beat the hell out of Kachuk, who then turtled. Yeah. Cassian suspended two games, and Kachuk said, nah, I'm good with it. Didn't It doesn't bug me. The Flames score on the power play. They go on to win the game. Cassian's return from the suspension will be January 29th against their Alberta foes, the Calgary Flames. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, the you know them scoring on the power play, them winning the game, that is a complete uh, side thing for me. That's a moot point for me. The hit itself, 
in my mind, was filthy. And I'm not, you know, a filthy hit, you're thinking shoulder or elbow to the head. It's the intent here that's disgustingly brutal, all right? The guy takes an absolute run. There's no question. He's in his crosshairs, and he takes, an, like, a textbook charge. If that if that's not charging, I don't know what is. And, you know, it's not charging for a two-minute minor because he didn't just give him a little bump. He went headhunting on the guy. Yeah, he didn't make contact with it, but it was a filthy hit from top to bottom. And the fact that Zach Cassian gets the suspension out of this is absolutely brutal because this is something that the NHL is trying to crack down on. I've gone through a concussion before. Uh, it's absolute garbage. Like, it delays everything in life. It, you just, you don't know how much you take your brain and you're just everything mental for granted. Uh, you know, when it's not quite clicking, it, it, it absolutely ruins you. Thankfully, Zach Cassian didn't get a concussion out of this, but it could have so easily happened. And if that's Connor McDavid, if that's Leon Dreisaitl, not a chance Matt Kachuk doesn't get dinged for that. Yeah, How absolutely. he's walking away scot-free, I have no idea. Uh, no, yeah, great points. I, I agree with you for the most part that he... By the letter of the law, it is a clean hit. So I, don't, I can't exactly say that it was like disgusting or a filthy thing because the rule book states that right, it right. was clean. I don't like that he turtled. I don't like that he didn't answer the bell. Uh, and then at the end, and, and then Cassian gets suspended for it, right? Like Cassian at some point has to defend himself. He can't just be yeah. like uh, a car stalled in the train tracks and getting smoked the rest of his career and he can't respond to it. Yeah. Uh, so this week, once the suspension was announced, Cassian had some choice words for Kachuk, and uh, take a listen to this. I'm not crying about the hits. It's it's hockey. It's a game of hockey. It's rough. I thought uh, they're a little bit uh, on the blind side, but at the end of the day, I've laid uh, big hits like that. Um, I've been hit like that, like that. Um, but um, two times uh, is more than enough. You play with fire, eventually you're going to get burned, and. Uh, he, he messed with the wrong guy, and uh, I don't think he realizes that we're in the same division and uh, have a great memory. Clean or dirty, um, if someone takes two runs at you um, on your blind side, I told him uh, since I've been in uh, minor midget, I've uh, stood up for myself and my teammates. People don't do that to me or my teammates when I'm out there. Uh, to me, those are two dangerous hits. If they're clean, they're still predatorial, which is completely fine. I'm a big boy. I love big boy hockey. But if you're going to play big boy hockey, you got to answer the bell every once in a while. So he put it pretty bluntly there that he now knows what's legal and what is not legal based on the Kachuk hits. And, I mean, does this January 29th game not become, like, the marquee matchup of the year? Yeah, so he's, he's out for two games. Then we get the All-Star break. And so his first game back is against the Calgary Flames. Yeah, which the NHL yeah. set that up. Yeah, by so giving them two games. Essentially, yeah. So I mean, this is, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. They did. They. I mean, they're getting ratings here. They might as well give them a third game and then play it safe. But no, no, we're we're looking at a bloodbath coming up on was it? Sorry, the 28th, 29th, the 29th, 29th, and, and yeah. it's going to be talked about for the next couple of weeks as a result. Yeah, and and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not justifying. I I don't think that Cassian should have just thrown off the gloves, went looking for Kachuk, um, and started like you know throwing some suckers and just start pounding the hell out of them. But at the same time, the punishment's got to fit the crime here. Two minutes for Matt Kachuk, that's not a, a punishment that fits the and crime. And he didn't even get penalized. Yeah. So, so no, I'm, I'm saying if had he got a charge oh, yeah, minor, yeah, yeah. Th that doesn't do it justice by any means. Th and this guy has a track record. It's not like he's a clean guy coming off a Lady Bing year. He's, he's known for doing this kind of thing all the time. Just ask Drew Doughty. You can ask anybody in this league, and Matt Kachuk is known as a rat of a player He's got some skill to him, absolutely. He's a good player, 
but he is so notorious for doing these stupid things. Um, and I, I can only hope that as his career progresses, he figures it out, the respect level, the maturity level, and he actually makes himself a whole complete player. Because right now, after watching that, that's a joke. I don't think anything uh, insane will happen on the 29th because no. everyone will be watching. But it is a little scary that this set, it set up this situation where Cassian is going to be looking to crush him with a clean yep. legal hit. And then I don't know what happens from there because the league has already set the standard. If I'm if I'm Matt Kachuk, you're going to get beaten. That's fair. But you know what? Answer the bell. You're both out there. It's a scripted fight. I know the NHL hates those, but you got you got to drop the mitts. You need to face the music and just get it over and done with, or you're going to be getting runs taken at you all night long. I yeah, I I can't really disagree with you. Well, I know I'll be watching on January 29th. <laughs> I hear you, buddy. Absolutely. All right, so there we go. Cassian suspended a couple of games, and we'll see what happens come January 29th in just a few minutes. You don't have to wait two weeks for this one. We have an excellent interview coming up with Brent Sopel, the former Canuck. We dive into everything as life in the NHL, some late career highlights overseas, a fantastic sit-down between himself and Ryan Sullivan. We'll be back. Green Man Radio, Sportsnet 650 in just a few minutes. Green Men Radio with Adam Forsyth and Ryan Sullivan continues on Sportsnet 650. Brought to you by PastimeSports.ca. We are back. This is Green Men Radio right here on Sportsnet 650. Powered by Pastime Sports and Games. Adam Forsyth and Ryan Sullivan. In just a couple of minutes, we'll be joined by... Former Canuck D-man Brent Sobel breaking down his very lengthy career, many stops along the way. And I'm really looking forward to this one. I had to sit this interview out because, uh, well, we'll get to a bit later on the show, but weather is causing a lot of problems in my life, Ryan. (laughs) And I'm not having a good time right now with Vancouver drivers. But you stepped in and you did a great job talking to Soaps and he had some, he laid it out there, a really honest and open interview. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's one of the one of the big draws why we wanted to get him on. I mean, you look at the Canucks' all time roster, and you know Brent Sopel's not the exact name that's going to jump out at you, but this guy's got a cool resume to him. He's bounced around. He's got some great stories. He's been through Russia, and what he's doing now for um, dyslexic, uh, you know, causes and, and support is just it's incredible. Um, you know, so he's a really well rounded individual, and it was an honor to have him on. He's really found his cause after his career because I think that is a problem. Once you retire, you're in your early 40s. Like, what do you do with the rest of your life? You, you need something. And the fact that this is what he's attached his name to, I think it's a real honorable thing. And uh, like he said, it's making a lot of a uh, big impact on a lot of people's lives. I, I believe you guys are going to get in deep into that discussion. And of course, he's got a bunch of awesome Canuck stories. So I say without further ado, we turn things over to your chat with Bren Sopel. All right, he began his career with the Vancouver Canucks after being selected 144th overall by the club in the 95 NHL entry draft, then went on to play 659 games between Vancouver, the Islanders, Kings, Blackhawks, Thrashers, and Habs, won a cup with the Blackhawks in 2010, then hit up the KHL to play with Metalurg, Novokuznetsk, and Salavat Yulayev Ufa. No, wait, I just, I think I botched that. It's Ufa, isn't it? Uh, that's okay. Yeah. He now operates the Brent Sopel Foundation, helping people of all ages with dyslexia. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Mr. Brent Sopel. Brent, how are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, man. Five seconds ago, we went over the pronunciation, and I botched it two seconds later. So uh, so that worked out. Well. Halfway across the world, so you're okay. Yeah, I think so, right? Uh, okay, why don't we start things out like we do with every interview. We like to go back to the very beginning. Uh, you're born in Calgary, Alberta. Can you describe the excitement 
being drafted by Vancouver, staying on the West Coast? Well, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't so much worried about the, the West Coast. It was uh, just being, you know, drafted in the NHL. Um, you know, it's been a childhood dream, just uh, the ability to be sitting in Edmonton. That's where the draft was that year and I'm waiting for my name to be called. And uh, to have it uh, have it be called, um, one, it was exciting. Obviously, yeah, you know, two, it was great to stay, uh, stay in Canada on the West Coast because, you know, I had family in Vancouver, spent a lot of time there. So uh, it was a double double win. So now, I mean, you know, late late teenager, you get drafted you know, what, what's the party like that night? You know, everybody just sees, you know, you guys cross stage, you put the jersey on. But what, what's the experience like after you walk off stage? What, what happens? Well, just, you know, obviously the, the high picks have a lot more to do than the, than the low pigeons like myself and the rest of us. And, um, yeah, it was a great party. Uh, the, good, the good thing is that uh, it was in Canada, you know, and it was in Alberta. So the drinking age is, uh, it was 18. So, well, we had a great time that night. We all went out and, um, just pretty much everybody was there, went out and had a good time and was excited to, you know, uh, see where our future lied. Nice, nice. Now, you, you tear things up for a number of years in the dub. Uh, you come up, you play some games with, with Syracuse and the A before cracking the NHL in 98. Uh, what, was the big, what was the big change for you, the big difference, I mean, playing against the Giants in the National Hockey League uh, for the very first time? <laughs> you know, they... Uh, you know, I say they're bigger, stronger, faster. You know, everybody's you know everybody's better. You're playing against the best in the world, and um, it's uh, you know it's tough to get your your foot in the door and uh, you know keep your foot in the door. Um, so it was uh, able to get called up and uh, play you know play my first game. It actually was the was in Chicago, which uh, again a dream come true. Now, how long would that last? Um, you never know. It's uh, a lot of guys come up and play a few games and never come back or you know my goal was just uh try and take it one day at a time and one game at a time and be excited for for every chance i could get uh you know put the skates on and uh know that i still up in the nhl nice now you got a hell of a resume there, there's a few different teams that that i want to touch on uh but i want to get to this this canuck question even though this is your second stint with the canucks uh, i've got to ask this because people still toss us out there every now and then with like the most obscure random injuries of all time you bent over during the playoffs to pick up a cracker. Can you describe that from start to finish, how it went down? Yeah, I still, uh, you know, I have three herniated discs in my back. I, you know, I have had them since high school. In high school, I was basically bent walking on my, almost my hands and knees. So um, people can think it's obscured, but, you know, when it wants to go out, it's, it's going to go out. And, uh, you know, that's exactly what happened. And, it was actually last last week is out of place um, for no apparent reason. Just, you know, I'm holding off the surgery as long as I can, but, you know, I'm still living with those herniated discs. And when it's when they decide to uh, do what they want to do, no matter what, what I say, they're going to do what they want to do. Yeah, I hear you. I, the, the back and the neck are, are brutal. I got I got a bad neck. And every now and then, yeah, it just goes out and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, so I'm sorry to hear that, buddy. But uh, why, why don't we move ahead a little bit? Uh, so we'll actually, let's do a different team here. 05, 10 years after you get drafted by Vancouver, they ship you off to the Islanders. Can you kind of describe that feeling of and how irritating it is to, to be traded in the NHL? Like later on in that year, you're going to Los Angeles. You know, we, we all see it as fans as, oh, yeah, this guy's just going here now. He's going to play on this roster. But as a player, I mean, you get this phone call and 
your whole life has to change. You have to move to a different country. You have to pack up, you know, family, everything. Just kind of describe that process a little bit that, you know, that we as fans never get the chance to, to hear about or see. Yeah, you know, and, and your first trade is always the toughest, and that was uh, coming after the lockout, and that's when the seller cap air, you know, started and completely changed the NHL. And, um, you know, I was one of those issues that got, got traded because of the salary cap. And, uh, you know, leaving Vancouver, uh, obviously where I've been, you know, my whole career um, with some great teams. Um, <laughs> it was hard It was hard to swallow, but, you know, that's business. But like you said, you know, if you got a family, you uh, you got to pick up, you got to move your house, you've got kids, you got to, uh, you know, get them out of school if they're in school. It's not just a, uh, I need to transition. There's a lot more to it, you know. I've been traded many times, and a lot of the trades I had was during the season. So you get a call, you're gone as soon as 12 hours, and and you never come back. So there's there's a lot more to uh, to getting traded than just what the, what you see in the front and center, uh, the backside of it, which is uh, the big the big stuff that takes pressure, uh, keeps pressure on you. Wondering, you know, are you going to see your kids when you can see them? How are we going to move? How are we get this, this, and this? So there's uh, there's a lot more to it. Yeah, definitely. Now, now th- this story is out there. If you do some digging, I have to ask this uh, because it's just it's it's the craziest thing. Uh, after bouncing around a bit, before you uh, find a home in Chicago, you have a, a preseason going with the Detroit Red Wings, and just kind of describe how that ended uh, in the office with Mike Babcock. Because I mean, it's it's an insane story, and and you would think all of this would be taken care of by management and agents, uh, but you had to take care of something firsthand here. If you want to take it from there, <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh... You know, kind of way things have worked for me in my career. And, you know, it, um, after that second stint in Vancouver, um, you know, I was offered a trout in, in Detroit, and uh, I accepted that there. And, you know, things, uh, training camp was going well. They offered me a, a one-year deal. And, you know, in uh, exhibition season, you travel day of the game. Um, you don't go night before like you do in the regular season. We were flying to Toronto, and just for uh, – and took off. My agent told me about the offer that Detroit made me. I said, well, just follow up with some of the teams that we had been talking to. Fly to Toronto, land, uh, end up accepting a one-year deal to Chicago. But um, <laughs> my agent couldn't get a hold of uh, Kenny Holland at that point in time as the GM and, or any of the uh, upper management of Detroit to tell them that uh, you know, I took the deal and you know, I was moving on to Chicago. I had to walk in the office, you know, right before warm-ups and tell Mike Babcock that I'm not playing. And, um, yeah, he wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't too too happy. Um, he started swearing at me and kicked me out of the dressing room and, you know, life moves on. And I had to get my my bag, my suit on, and I had to find my way back to Detroit to, to get my stuff to, to meet Chicago on the road. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely crazy, man. And that's something we have in common there is because – I've actually, as a reporter, when I was just a young kid, I was like 19, I got lit up in the Detroit locker room by Mike Babcock. So, uh, so it worked out beautifully. Um, <laughs> could be a pretty intimidating guy. Yeah, I was the only one either. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we're, you know, there's a lot of others out there like us. So, uh, but uh, why don't we talk about, we'll transition from Babcock to, I'm assuming one, one of the better coaches that you've had in uh, Joel Quinville. Now, you're, you're bouncing around a bit. You find a home in Chicago. Um, you know, coming out of that preseason with Detroit, obviously a little weird, but you sign a nice deal with the Hawks, three years, seven mil, and now you're playing alongside Duncan Keith, Seabrook, Brian Campbell, 
What was the expectation like for you going to the Windy City? Well, I was, you know, obviously the future was bright for, uh, you know, the Blackhawks with uh, Jonathan Tays and Patrick Cade coming in, you know, first, second, all picks. Um, Doug Keith, Brent Seabrook, you know, the list goes on. So it was, you know, my role was, was more of a, you know, a veteran presence of, you know, teaching these guys, uh, you know, what the NHL is about, you know, uh, day in, day out, the grind of, uh, you know, what it's like. How do you, uh, how do you manage that? How do you manage your, your, uh, your body, the, the travel? So, you know, I came in, into that team as a, you know, to be a leader and, and basically teach knowing that, you know, my time wasn't going to be where it used to be. And I was in the back half of my career. And, uh, you know, I took that as a, you know, uh, you know, as something important is, uh, if I didn't have that opportunity, knowing this is going to be a last opportunity, maybe I can leave a you know, stamp on, you know, on some of these kids and, you know, help them get to, uh, where they ended up getting, which is which pretty amazing through Stanley cups in, in six years. Yeah. Pretty surreal stuff and pretty incredible to be a part of, of course, I would think, uh, now you guys beat Chris Pronger in, in 2010 and the Flyers to win the cup. And this is one of those goals that stands out. It's not like on the Bobby Orr level, but it stands out just because nobody knew what was going on. And we all just thought, you know, Patrick Kane might have lost his mind. He was going absolutely crazy. He was the only one in the rink that seemed to know where the puck was. You guys were at the other end of the rink. Uh, what were you thinking as soon as Patrick Kane threw his gloves off? Well, I, I didn't, you know, I, I think I was one of the last ones to, to come off the bench because, you know, late in my career, knowing that this uh, is people have one chance i'm not going to get myself too excited because there's not too many goals that you see you know like going you know in and stay under under the pad the way it did and uh so i slowly got off the bench and you know i didn't didn't get too excited until i i see the coaching staff get the get the word from you know the video guys in the back room saying it was in then it was you know let the party begin but i didn't want to get too excited until i knew exactly where we stood yeah, that's probably a decent call. It was similar here in 2011 when uh, BX was scored off the stanchion there. Nobody really knew it was in, but the guy with the confetti had a quick trigger finger, and there was probably no going back after that. So, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right? So, uh, but I just want to know, like, I mean, that, I mean, you know, that team, like you say, like, you know, they, they grabbed a few cops. I mean, it's a tight-knit group. What were those guys like? I mean, uh, you know, in Vancouver, there was quite the rivalry here with the Blackhawks at the time. But, you know, you look at these guys, whether it be the Keiths, the, the Seabrooks, the, the Canes, the Taves, you know, how, how do these guys compose themselves in the room? Because it was, it was a room kind of full of young guys, full of kids, um, you know, but you got to have some, like a hell of a head on your shoulders to, to have it all together to go through that many games and win that cup. Um, you know, what was the room like going in, going into that series and, you know, kind of coming out of there? Well, you, you know, in nine year before, maybe, you know, lost to Detroit in conference finals, so... You know that gave gave guys some experience in the playoffs and what it was all about. And you know we had we had a pretty good group of of uh, you know uh, leadership there. Uh, John Madden obviously had won a couple Stanley Cups in in New Jersey, uh, so his presence um, it was it was a good group. It was a good it was the closest knit group that I've ever been a part of, and everybody played for each other. And you know when when you're as talented as as some of these guys are. Um, it made life easier, but when you got a good balance of veteran and uh, veteran leadership and, and Joel Coinville, you know, as a, I think he's a second winning all-time coach. Um, I don't know if he's going to catch Scotty Bowen, but uh, I'm sure he's going to try. Uh, you know, he, he has him leader. 
uh, leading the group. It's it was one of it was just one of those things Matt's made in heaven from you know from top to bottom. Yeah, absolutely. Now you go from Chicago and the highs there to you end up playing fifty nine games with the Atlanta Thrashers the following year. I want to know was the atmosphere that bad in Atlanta that the team had to pack up? You know, I loved Atlanta. Um, that was probably my favorite place to play. And, um, you know, no, it was, uh, it was, you know, anywhere you take a look at, uh, you take a look at Nashville, you take a look at Phoenix, you take a look at Florida, anywhere or any city where you have multiple things to do, um, you know, due to the weather, uh, you, you have winning teams every year. And, uh, you know, we talk many times we talk about, you know, Carolina, should we move Carolina again or should we, should we do Florida? They can't get anybody. You know, you've got to put a, a winning product on the ice, um, you know, every single night. And, you know, in, in Atlanta, um, we, had a couple, we had a pretty good team that year. And, um, you know, some injuries, lost some guys. And, you know, I ended up getting trained in Montreal. And I guess it was just, uh, it was easier probably, uh, you know, for the NHL just to move back to Winnipeg, knowing that coming back to Canada. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it would have been a grind for a while. You know, it's just like I said, you got to have a winning team no matter where you are to bring them in if you're fighting against basketball. And uh, college football is, is massive down there. So great city, loved it, favorite place to play, but you know, unfortunately no more. Yeah, fair enough. And if they, they get a really bad rap. I loved the baby blue jerseys. What were your thoughts when you got to throw those things on before going out? I, I was good with it. You know, you want to go with those or you want to go with the – the mustard yellow that Nashville has, you know, <laughs> I, I was good with the big blue. Yeah, yeah, I thought they were pretty slick. Uh, now, okay, you head over to Russia a couple years later. I, I don't know if I should try and pronounce. I'll do one more time. Metalurg, Nova Kuznetsik, and Salavat Yulayev Ufa. There it is. I got it. Second time's a charm. Uh, now, you're over in the K. We, we don't have too much time to talk about the K, but I want to know, like, what was... What were some of the weirder, stranger experiences? You know, how are things so much different playing pro hockey over there than in the NHL? Well, you know, you know, first of all, people always, you know, give Europeans a hard time. Um, you know, coming over. You know, when you when you leave your country, coming, you know, you come to come to North America to play in the NHL. This is me going the other way around. You're 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 entering a different country with different cultures. Um, everything was completely different. Um, first, you know, the ice. Ice surface. We played on Olympic size ice surface, so um, you know that was different. Played against some unbelievable uh, Panarin, Tarasenko, Kovalchuk. It was just some of the guys I chased around there. But you know, it was just a different culture. You know, landing in Moscow and having three airports and not knowing a word of English or I mean of Russian. Um, it's I could go on. There's there's tons of them. It's just because there's a different culture. You know, um, I was over there when the uh, the plane crash in uh, Yaroslavl uh, went down. So that's I was I was sitting in the Moscow airport when that happened. You know, so there's a lot, I can go on for for a ton of them. It's just you're you're heading to Eastern Europe for a complete culture shock of uh, you know what time it is, twelve hour time change to uh, where you going to some small cities to some big cities to uh, different cultures to different countries. It was just. You know, everything was everything was completely different. Did you find that, like, you know, Canada, obviously, the just, you know, maybe, maybe this is self-tab, but the hockey capital of the world, did you find that you got a little bit more respect going over there, given your resume, uh, or did you find you still had to earn your stripes? 
No, you know what? I, um, I had a great time when I was over there. I learned a lot, you know, different in different cultures and different countries. You know, people most people can't say that they went to and lived in in uh, this many different countries. So I, you know, I did get the respect, um, no matter if it was right or deserved or not deserved. It, you know, everybody's great to me. Um, so I I enjoyed my time over there. Um, a lot of interesting things, a lot of interesting countries and cultures. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, all right, now uh, here's where I want to get a little more real here, and and I'll pull back the curtain and uh, give a little behind the scenes here. So I reached out to you over Instagram, and uh, you were very kind to to get back and to to agree to to come on the air with me. And um, and reason being is, I mean, obviously I, I've been a fan, but you, you did something on on a, on a different broadcast that was that was truly inspiring to me. Um, and and I'm gonna do the same thing here. So um, now you mentioned that you know because you know, your, your marks weren't there in, in high school and stuff and frustration was building. Uh, you used to bully a bit in high school and from grades eight to 10 or so, and I've never said this on air before, but I, I did the same thing. Um, my end goal was to be one of the, the popular kids and I thought I'd get there by, by bullying and making fun of others. And it's, it's something that I regret more than anyone will ever know to this day. And I've reached out every year to these people and, and you know, that were on the bitter end and, and they don't get back to me and, and nor should they, they don't need to. Um, I don't think I would, um, but I think if if I were in their shoes, that's I'd, I'd feel the same way. And 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 the reason I bring this up is is because you had the chance to connect with somebody um, that that you put through a rough time earlier. And I just wondered, you know, see if you'd share that experience and that story with us. Yeah, uh, you know, um, finding out ten years ago, uh, you know, I was dyslexic. Um, a lot of things make sense to me now, but going up and you know. I was reading at a grade four level in high school and, um, yeah, you know, I avoid, um, probably more than just, just one kid. And, um, you know, they did reach out to me and we've had, we've had communications, uh, about it. You know, I've had to, I've gone through a lot in my life and had to learn who I am and what I'm about and being sober over three years. And, um, you know, it's, it's, there's no such thing as a class plan or a bully. There's a reason why, and uh, it makes sense to me now. Why, you know, why? But uh, you know, I tell my story. It's like you just said, told your story because everybody needs to know. It's it's not okay, and um, questions need to be asked. Why or what's going on, and or get to the root of what those problems are. But you know, the fact that that you try to reach out. That uh, you've apologized and and you've changed, you've changed. That's you know obviously that's the first step. There may be a day when when they're okay, uh, they're ready to uh, to face that. But uh, you know all you can do is uh, what you can do and take control of what you can take control of, uh, and that's yourself. And uh, I've had to do the same thing, and you know I'm still trying to do it every every day. Still struggle every day. Um, you know it's it's a it's a daily battle. Of, Try to improve yourself and, and better who you are as a person. Yeah. Now I I, I want to talk about the the foundation, but um, you know just just getting there. I mean, it, it's exactly like you just said. Like you look at the bully, and they kind of get this stigma that they're in the wrong. It doesn't matter. You know, there is a story there. You know, my self esteem, my confidence was was gone. You know, I was I was depressed at the time, and I took it out on others. Um, but I was the one in pain, and it's it's like you say, like you know, it, you're the one in pain. But it's just you look at the bully, and there's just such a negative connotation. Um, so you don't listen to their story, but you founded the Brent Sopel Foundation to help people with dyslexia. Um, I want to know what's your approach to this kind of behavior, and I know that the cause 
uh, you're working toward isn't exactly bullying, but you're working toward making a difference in those people's lives that feel left out. And uh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, um, you know, I don't, I don't have dyslexia, but that's exactly how I felt left out. I felt extremely left out. And I want to know what, what, what's your approach and, and how are you trying to help and, and make a difference? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, anybody who uh, is struggling, I'm, all, you know, I'm always here and, you know, I, I'm sober for all these three years. You know, I struggle with these learning disorders and we all struggle with, uh, whatever that is, anxiety, depression, uh, alcoholism, dyslexia, learning differences, whatever. It's just, you know, I put myself out there. I, I tell my stories and, you know, I answer, uh, my social media, uh, direct messages. Like I answer yours because you never know, uh, who that is. You never know where that person is that that's reaching out to me. And, so, you know, through social media, through my foundation, my websites, uh, articles, you know, I tell my story. And if people are looking and need help, you know, they reach out and uh, reach out however, however, which way, you know, email me through my website or uh, foundation or, you know, is at brentsopalfoundation.org is the, is the website or social media. You know, you're not alone no matter what it is, as much as you think you are. You're not alone, and uh, I'm here to help any way I can. I mean, you, you say that you you know you, you deal with this this every day, and but in my mind, Brent, I mean, and this isn't me blowing smoke, man. You you're one of the lucky ones. You you've you've found who you are, and, and you found a, a way to help others find who they are. And I think that's a just a tremendous thing. And for more information, BrentSopelFoundation.org uh, is where you want to head. And if there's anything that we can do. Uh, on the Green Men channel, stuff like that. I mean, we got a decent followership there too. Uh, by all means, let me know. I, I'd be more than happy to help. And and I'm, you know, we're so grateful to get you on the show here. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And you know, it's just uh, you take life one day at a time. And uh, you know, anybody struggling, you know, send them my way. There it is, a fantastic interview done by Orion Sullivan. Thanks a lot for stepping in for me there, buddy. And uh, Brent Sopel, again, we set it off the top. Super honest, super open. The guy's an open book. That interview brought to you by Pastime Sports and Games. February 9th at the Metrotown location, the Canuck legend Marcus Nassen will be signing autographs starting at 11.30 a.m. Am I correct on that one, Sully? Uh, maybe 11.30. I think they're shooting for an 11 start. All right. You know what? And get there even But let's in- give him a half hour cushion. He's coming, from, he's coming from Switzerland. Or Switzerland. He's coming from Sweden. He might be in Switzerland. I don't know. There's a stopover. He's hitting the slopes. Yeah, uh, that's right. But either way, uh, go check that out. It is going to be an awesome event. Much like that was an awesome chat with Prince Sopel. Yeah, I, that was that was pretty cool. Um, I mean, he, you know, we touched on it before going into. It. He's a very open character, and and I I saw an opening there, and 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 I I threw something out there that I've never said on air before. But my hope is that I mean, it it helps other people that used to be in shoes like mine or are in shoes like mine currently. Um, you know, those that are going through a tough time in, in high school. I mean, I did that and, and, you know, Brent went through it as well. And, and he's reaching out to help in, in a much more uh, vast, wider way than, than I have been able to thus far, um, which is tremendous, but it's, it's very inspiring stuff that he's doing. And, and case in point, you can see right there, he inspired me to, to kind of open up myself. And, and uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a big deal. I mean, if you can open up and, and talk about these things, you can, you can avoid these messes and you can avoid having that guilt weighing over you later in life. So uh, hopefully somebody took something like that out of that interview. No, absolutely. I, I guarantee you people did. And uh, good on you for opening up and, and good on for soaps for getting in there. And uh, I'll, I'll end it with a little bit of a, a lighter note. And I have to come clean. I once bullied Brent Sopel. Uh, when I was in grade nine, 
I was invited invited to the Canucks. Uh, they do those like season ticket holder summits. Oh yeah, and I was super eager, aspiring broadcaster. So there's staff members walking around with microphones in the crowd, and they had all the Canucks seated down on the ice rank, uh, level. And I had one ask a question, and I asked, "Hey Brent, when are you going to cut that bad haircut?" Wow. Yeah. And wow. Then his response was. The more people ask, the longer it grows. And then everyone <laughs> cheered, and as a 13-year-old boy, I was booed by a stadium full of people at then GM place. So, Brent, I am sorry for bullying you back in the day. The scars are still showing on that one for you. I mean, the hearing the boos at 13 years old, that's got to be rough. I said, I think, last week's episode, I've been therapy for numerous things, and that's one of them. That's that's fair, and it's, <laughs> it's good that you're talking about it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the hair, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to ask him about that, but just... As in any other sport, it's disgusting. But in hockey, that's a sweet flow, bro. And on that note, we wrap up segment two. Coming up in just a few <laughs> minutes, Kurt McLean on Green Man Radio on Sportsnet 650. Also available on all the podcasting apps, Spotify, iTunes, you name it, you can find it. Adam Forsyth, Ryan Sullivan, we'll be back in just a few minutes. We now return to Green Men Radio with Adam Forsyth and Ryan Sullivan on Sportsnet 650. Brought to you by Pastime Sports and Games. number two of Green Man Radio has arrived on Sportsnet 650. Adam Forsyth, a.k.a. Force, joined by Ryan Sullivan, a.k.a. Sully, a.k.a. the guy who did the handstands. Stop asking me. It wasn't me. I, I'm not that flexible. I, You know what? You never you never pushed yourself. You I never know. tried it. You were just like, nope. You encouraged me. It was around <laughs> that time the, the bum knee uh, went yeah. into effect, which I, we'll, we'll discuss with Kirk McLean in just a few minutes. The former Canuck goalie, our next guest, on Green Man Radio. Uh, again, two for two on former Canuck players. Brent Sopel, fantastic interview. We'll say it uh, again. We've said it a bunch. Uh, open and honest interview. Again, if you want to hear it again, head to Sportsnet 650, the Green Man Radio show page, or we'll shortly have it up on iTunes, Spotify, all those podcasting apps, because uh, it is a, a fantastic list new. And, uh, yeah, it's just uh, good life advice for a lot of people out there. Yeah, he's got a great story to tell. I mean, a very cool thing. I mean, obviously, to get to the NHL, to stay in the NHL, to play there. Uh, you know, over a 1,000 professional games for this guy, including his time over in Russia as well. So uh, a pretty cool story from top to bottom. Uh, a really great uh, speaker. He's done a lot of stuff, uh, even speaking at the White House. So a very, very well-spoken, articulate individual um, and a good fella all around. I mean, uh, just talking about actual life issues rather than just stuff that's going on on the ice and uh, it was a really well-rounded interview and needed a good job. So, and, and I do want to mention, um, let's go down to the Rolodex here. Because we always, you know, we, we throw the podcast out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mention it, you know, where you can find it and stuff. And But I keep having people come up to me like, oh, is that your first show? That was great. No, 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 no. Here we go. If you want to hear some some sweet interviews, we, we've had some absolute fantastic guests on so far. Show one, JT Miller, Theron Flurry. Show two, Scotty Walker, Alex Ald. Show three, Sean Pronger. We also had... Dale Weiss, who was a tremendous guest, a gem, calling us all the way from Laval. And uh, obviously last week we had Ed Jovanovsky and Brad May, a tremendous resume so far. And of course, Brent Sopel. And coming up in just a few moments, Mr. Kirk McLean. Did you see the Dale Weiss trade rumors last week from Sportsnet's Elliot Friedman? I did not. Uh, the Canucks trying to get rid of Sven Berchi's contract. And no. the rumor out there was that Montreal was thinking maybe, hey, we'll, we'll take Berchi's contract if you take Dale Weiss's. Hey, bring him back. But yeah, it wasn't going to work for the Canucks, unfortunately, because no. at least Berchi will 
I don't know. <laughs> more offensive skill, I suppose. There's a little more potential maybe left with San Berchi. You know what you're going to get with Dale Weiss. But, hey, Dale Weiss comes back. We're getting him in the studio. That's happening for sure. So another guest you mentioned, Alex Ald, a former Canuck. And right now we're going to turn things over to another former Canuck. And this one, one of the more uh, historic Canucks on the list, that 94 Stanley Cup run. We'll, we'll discuss that and much, much more. And this interview brought to you by the fine folks at Yuck Yucks. Just announced Melissa Villasenor. SNL alumni will be on the Yuck Yucks main stage as part of the Just for Laughs Comedy Fest from February 13th to 15th. Three show dates coming at you for one of the best young comics on the planet. Check them out at yuckyucks.com slash Vancouver on their social media as well at Yuck Yucks Van. Growing up in Ontario and coming up through the Oshawa general system, this guy found his greatest success out west. Drafted by the New Jersey Devils in the sixth round of the 1984 entry draft. He played all six games, all of six games with the New Jersey Devils before being packaged off to the Canucks alongside Greg Adams at a second-round pick. That turned out to be the infamous Leaf Rolene. Went on to a starting job only once, played less than 40 games in his 11 years in Vancouver, but most well-known for anchoring the boys to a 1994 Stanley Cup run. And that spent a bit of time in Carolina and Florida before wrapping up things with the Rangers in 2001. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Captain Kirk McLean, welcome to the show. What an intro. Thank you. <laughs> not bad, not bad, man. Um, yeah, wh why, why don't we just, we're going to go right back to the start like we like to do with uh, all of our guests here, and let's just work our way through chrono chronologically, if I can speak English. There it is. Um, all right, buddy, so here we go. Uh, 1984 NHL entry draft rolls around, and this thing is stacked. We got Mario Lemieux, we got Patrick Waugh, Aya Frady, Gary Roberts, Riche. Uh, you know, how nervous are you going into this draft? Well... I'm as nervous as an 18-year-old is going to be, wondering if, if and when you'll actually get drafted. And, and um, you know, going into it, being a goaltender at that time, it was very rare uh, that a goaltender would go any higher than the sixth round or so or fifth round. And, you know, there, I believe, well, New Jersey picked, obviously, Craig Billington uh, in the, I think he was first first pick in the third round or first second pick in the second round or can't remember what it was, but uh, most of us uh, kind of hovered in around the fifth, sixth round, and uh, we're, we're definitely happy with that. But it was an exciting time. I was at the draft. Uh, it was held in Montreal that year. They, they basically just rotated Montreal, Toronto back in the back in the 80s and the early 90s before they started expanding out towards the different cities in the league. But um, you know, it was it was uh, quite a quite a good feeling. It was a, a long day. Obviously, uh, as we were sitting in the in the crowd waiting for your name to be called, and you know, sixth round comes comes around, and bam, it all happens. So, the, what is that night like for you? Once you don the devil sweater, and then is yeah. it is it party time, or where do you go from there? Well, we were in Montreal. So. Yeah. <laughs> all right, there he goes. Answer <laughs> so for himself. Sorry, a little bit. So, you know, you obviously go back to the hotel room, and you meet up with with the. Uh, the management and the upper management of, of the devils and get to know them a little bit. And, and at the time there was, there was no uh, senior members or veteran uh, players um, that were around at that time. So just basically the guys uh, that were drafted, who, whoever were there and uh, um, maybe some other players that your agent also had that, that were drafted, uh, you know, Gary Roberts and Eddie Olchuk, we all shared the same, uh, same draft uh, or same um, um, agent, so we all got together, 
parents kind of went and did their things, and and we had we had our own fun for for the evening. And did Gary Roberts uh, make you do a workout immediately after being drafted? <laughs> yeah, no, Gary wasn't quite into that at that time. He was uh, he was obviously a fit player, but um, you know he really got into that as you know after he he suffered a his bad back and neck injuries. That's when he really um, dove into the into the workout and the, and the health. Uh, Regime. Well, let's jump into a couple of your injuries before, because before you got traded to the Canucks, you you had a couple of two knee surgeries. Now I had one, and in modern medicine, and I claim that's the reason I have I suck at all sports now. So how did you overcome two young uh, two knee surgeries at such a young age, and then uh, go on to have such a successful career? Yeah, well, I mean, it was just the, at that time, you know, it was the first surgeries I'd ever have. I I lucked out through. You know, junior hockey and um, you know my minor minor hockey career obviously didn't have any any issues there other than a, a torn ligament due to playing soccer as a as a youngster. Um, but you heal quicker when you're young, as you know. And and um, you know, I was able to uh, overcome that. I had a little setback kind of going into camp uh, in New Jersey uh, halfway through the summer, where where it was uh, tweaked a little bit and needed surgery again. And and um, you know, I was lucky enough that uh, good rehab and kind of get me ready for uh, for the camp, and and um, and it was. And I, you know, I, I arrived in in New Jersey about a week earlier or so. John McLean and I uh, drove in, and and uh, I was staying at his place, and we were skating with the guys, and things were feeling good. And, and then the trade happens, and and then right out, right over to Duncan as soon as I arrive here in Vancouver. Nice. And now, now before we get into the, your days here with the Canucks, I mean, I, I'm always curious about how these things go down. I mean, it was a huge package trade. I mean, Sundstrom's going one way. Uh, you know, Gus is going with you back this way along with a pick. How did you hear about the trade? Um, uh, through, I got a phone call. Again, it was uh, after we were, we were skating or just before we were going to go skate. Uh, uh, it was a day before the camp or the, it was a day before the camp, I think it was. And and um, we were just sitting around. I got the call because I knew I was staying with John McLean at his place, so they called John's place back in the day when people actually had house phones. <laughs> and and uh, it was Bob Hoffmeyer. He was the assistant coach at the time. And uh, he, he he just said, you know, Lou wants to see you. I'd never met Lou. I, you know, Max McNabb was the guy uh, who recently retired from – the GM position and Lou uh, came in from Providence and, you know, I met him the next, uh, next morning and he just uh, let me know that, uh, you know, they'd made a trade and I was part of it. Uh, there was uh, others involved, but he couldn't let me know because it hadn't cleared through the league yet. The facts, believe it or not, the facts hadn't gotten through yet. So they couldn't, they couldn't let it all out. And, and so I, I just went home, packed up what I had and, and then it went to the airport and didn't realize that uh, Gussie was uh, was part of the deal uh, until I was sitting on the plane and I saw him walk walk on board. Did that help we, things uh, that you knew someone coming uh, with you? Absolutely, absolutely, it, it sure did. And and somebody that I was you know super familiar with because that '84 draft uh, year they brought us down afterwards uh, after we were drafted in the in the summer uh, mid midsummer or so. Uh, they brought most of the draft picks into the New York, uh, New Jersey area, Mel Bridgman and, and some of the other veteran players at the time, um, you know, showed us around town for a couple for a weekend. And and Greg had come in as a, you know, a free agent uh, signing from 
uh, I think it was Arizona State, I believe it was. Uh, I can't remember which which school in Arizona, but it was an independent league, and and uh, so I obviously got to know him a little bit that weekend, and then through training camps, and then, and then playing with him a little bit uh, in New Jersey. So, and him being a BC boy was, was able to tell me a little bit about the, the province and the city because I'd never uh, had a chance to get out here in my NHL career, and the furthest I, I got was in Calgary. Uh, for a couple of years in the Max Midget Tournament. So um, the only thing I really knew was obviously the 82 team that uh, made it to the finals. And and then growing up in Toronto, being a Leafs fan, my dad would always turn on the transistor radio at 10 at night when the Leafs were out west here. And, and uh, Foster Hewitt would be uh, calling the game on the radio. Nice. Now, the, speaking of that 82 team, you come into a, a room that's got a pretty veteran crease uh, you know, Richard Brodeur obviously anchored that uh, 82 run. You got Steve Weeks in there, and you end up playing some pretty big minutes that first year. Uh, you know, what, what was it kind of like being the new guy uh, in, you know, veteran territory? You didn't really have too much of a resume to your name at the time. What was going through your mind there? Yeah, well, it was an odd situation. I didn't know what to expect. Uh, Weeks, he hadn't arrived yet. He came a little bit later, but at the right. time, there was myself, Richard, uh, Frank Caprice was the other uh, goaltender that uh, was there. So we carried three goaltenders for almost half the season, more than half the season. And then and then uh, I think it was uh, the trading deadline. And around there, uh, you know, Pat made the move and he sent uh, he sent Frank down to the minors and, and uh, traded uh, Richard to Hartford. And that's when Steve Weeks came in um, as kind of a, you know, a, a mentor, so to speak. He was he was near the end of his his career as, as well as you know Richard uh, near the end. Uh, and uh, but Steve Steve was uh, you know I think the change they needed uh, just a different uh, uh, look. Obviously Richard, you know, being the guy for so long, and you know it's tough. It's tough. I I happened to me at the end of my career too. It's tough to kind of accept your change in roles, if you will. You don't want to give that net up. You still have that competitive spirit, and you want to carry on being that number one goaltender and you know uh, it was a tough situation um and it had to be a tough a tough move for for pat to, to move uh move along with with richard as well so from a couple of vets at the end of their career to a couple of yeah. young guys coming to the league for the first time what were your immediate thoughts or the impact on the team for the two young guys in the early 90s trevor linden and pavel Bure? well trevor obviously came in uh, the year later in 88 and you know we were excited about, we were excited to have uh this this big um, potential power forward uh, that can play both the wing and and uh and center um you know is he's coming off a, a memorial cup win um it was an exciting time and then to find out that Pavel was uh was coming along I ended up playing against Pavel in the, I think it was the 1990, both Greg Adams and I, uh, over in the World Championships, I think Jim Sandlick was there as well. Um, we got a chance to see Pavel as a uh, as a 17 or 18 year old over there, you know, playing for Russia. So we experienced playing against them. But uh, how do you guys do? Um, I think we won that game actually, and um, but it was it was a tough fought game. But he he certainly. He certainly showed us uh, what he had, his speed, and obviously his skill and his shot. Um, you know, uh, was was a, was an eye opener, and and to find out uh, within the year that uh, you know he was on board with the Vancouver Canucks and on his way was an exciting time. 
Absolutely. And I mean, no bigger time for you guys than 94. Uh, that big year rolls around. You kind of squeak into the postseason, seventh yep. seed. Uh, you take on Calgary first round, huge rivalry there already. Uh, how much of a roller coaster was that series for you? And of course, we will get to the save momentarily, but just, you know, go, going through all the motions there, it goes to a game seven. I mean, what, what's going through your head through all these ups and downs? Well, as you mentioned, we, we kind of backed into the playoffs, I think with four games or five games left in the season. We, we, uh, we underachieved through the whole year. We had a, a good hockey club, and we just, uh, for some reason, had a bad year where previously – we were, you know, we we uh, we achieved our our goals, and we were we were one of the top teams in the league. We actually, you know, I think we were, we challenged a couple of years for the President's Trophy right till the end and couldn't pull it off, and then and then vice versa, underachieved in the playoffs from myself out. And uh, so it was a weird it was a weird feeling, you know, going into Calgary. Calgary was one of the favorites to win the cup. Um, you know, we're we're kind of going in on somewhat of a high, you know, we won a few games at the end there thinking that we're, you know, we're, we're on the right track and, you know, we're, we're underdogs. So let's just go in and play loose. We, we go into Calgary when we win the first game and then of course uh, go down three, three games later, we're down three games to one and have to pick our way through. And, and it basically um, it came down to the old cliches and, and it was, it was uh, one shift at a time. You know, one goal at a time, one period at a time. If we have to win the game, if we win it in 60 minutes, we win it in 60 minutes. If we win it in 120 minutes, you know, that's what we're going to do. But, uh, you know, we're, we're in no hurry to win every single game. Uh, we're just going to take our chances when they are and, and play good hard hockey, and, and we were able to do that. We picked away and then, of course, won, uh, won those games in, in over, uh, all those games in overtime and closed out the series uh, in Game 7. Nice. Now... I know you're used to telling the story. We can't move on after we hear it. Reichel, you know, McLean, a marvelous save. Let's let's set it up. The pass across. Uh, you know what, what's going through? Just a desperation kick of the pads. Well, one hundred percent. I mean, it was it was part of the arsenal. I must say that that was a that was a move that I was taught as a kid. Uh, any kind of goalie instruction that I did receive, which which basically didn't happen until midget hockey, maybe bantam hockey, very limited, uh, and then of course into junior hockey, where it became a little bit more uh, of an everyday thing. And and um, you know we worked on on moves like that because exactly what it is, like you said, it's a desperation move. But there was the odd time where you had to do that if you were facing the shooter, uh, playing your angle. You know, and obviously, at that time, Yerky played the played the, uh, the the two on one or three on one, if you will, perfectly, and allowed me uh, to read the play and anticipate the pass across. And the quickest way I knew how to get across at that time was a two pad slide. And and it is all timing, without a doubt. Uh, I timed it perfectly, um, and I mean that right to a T because. In, in, believe it or not, in Robert Reichel's defense, he didn't have much he could do because the puck was, was so close to my pads. There was no way he was going to get it over my pads. The only way is if it would if it slid under my pad and or if he, he kind of snow shoveled it in or bulldogged me into the net. And, and um, that's how that's how uh, you know good the timing was or how important the uh, the timing was to that uh, pass across by Theo. You ever think about how much easier that save could have been if you were wearing the mattresses the kids are now? Well, 
a different type of pad too. I, you know, you, you don't see it very often, you know, Markstrom did it a couple of weeks ago. Um, but it's, it's a lot tougher for those guys uh, to do it because of the way they play the position now. And just the way the pads are, are formed on their leg They're they're a straighter, you know, pad that they have that they're straight up and down. There's no real contour to it. Uh, and I know this from experience of these last uh, two times that I've been out in the, uh, uh, the opening ceremonies of the hockey games, they, they weren't my pads. I was boring, uh, pads of, uh, uh, of somebody that, uh, you know, had, uh, replicas made up of mine, but it's a modern day pad and there's no way I'd be able to do it with those pads because they only have three, three straps on them maybe. So the pads would be halfway around my ankle if anything like that was happening. But, you know, if they pull it off and, and I have to tip my hat to Marky when he did it a couple weeks ago, he did it to perfection. That was, uh, I was bang on and I had a big smile on my face when I saw that. And was it awesome that as soon as he made that save, all of a sudden cue the highlight reels because Sportsnet was airing your save all over again. It was awesome. Well, it, it was pretty cool because of the actual, the, the, the night itself, you know, being nineties night and they, they brought us out onto the, uh, onto the ice before the game. And then of course they were wearing the, uh, the skate jersey and, and it just all tied in nicely. You know, and, and I know exactly how you feel because I put on some of the newer pads a couple of years ago and I hold the Duffers men's hockey league record with 14 <laughs> goals against. So, um, <laughs> well, it happens to the all, we've all been there at some point. I didn't quit the 14 <laughs> goals. I think I, I got as high as seven or eight. Uh, um, but, uh, I can remember a few occasions where one, my partner, Kay Whitmore, uh, got left in for all nine. We lost nine nothing. He was in for that. <laughs> and then one where we were on the other side. I was in the back end, and 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 Mike Vernon was in in Calgary, and we beat them eleven nothing. And Mike was left in for all eleven goals. And nice. Um, that's, Poor that's guy. Tough to swallow. That's tough to swallow. I, you know, Pat was always great. He always told us. He said, you know, he's a big believer in in if you start the game, you finish the game, and. And uh, he pretty much uh, stuck to it. Uh, there wasn't very often where he pulled his goaltenders. He, you know, you're part of the team. You, you grind it out. You work through it. Uh, but as you know, there's some games where you know you're not on and you're trying your damnedest to, you know, to fight through it and that your, your teammates are trying to help you out, but you just can't get to that uh, point. And you're, you're looking over at the, at the bench going, get me out of here, man, because I just don't have it tonight. <laughs> Uh, all right, buddy. We're gonna we're gonna skip ahead on the Dallas series, which was a, a fantastic series. Yeah. But uh, we're but we're running a little short, so let's let's dive right in to just a moment of absolute jubilation. Uh, you know, Greg Adams slides at home past Felix Potvin, who was one of the best in the game at the time. Fireworks going off, Civic Coliseum probably as loud as it's ever been. What was the view like from your crease that night? Well, you know, I just saw that the. You know, there was, it was a, a great game, obviously, uh, going on. And the puck ended up going back to the point. And, you know, uh, Greg, as he always did and was always really great at, uh, you know, he, he came from the corner straight to the front of the net. Uh, you know, Felix, uh, for some reason, had led a fairly juicy rebound, which didn't happen very often and then Greg just happened to be there at the right time and chipped it over his uh, left pad I believe it was and and then boom the you know the horn goes off and the crowd's going nuts and it was a, a huge relief because uh, you know we you realize basically right away what what you've done and 
and what's happening next. And uh, we certainly enjoyed the moment while we had it. Yeah, I'd love to know what the party was like after the game, but unfortunately, we have to move on to the Rangers series. So maybe I'll, I'll save those questions for when we go off the air here. But uh, now Rangers come up. I mean, it's, it's a seven-game series, and it's an absolute war. Uh, you know, Linden takes the, the cheap shot late in game six. There's the iconic photo. Uh, he's hugging the mask, pulling the wires. You know, you're, you're through six games only in this series, but it must have been like you, you've been through decades of war already. What was still left in the tank for Game 7, and how did you guys get up for it? I mean, riding that bus to Madison Square Garden, enemy territory, what's going through your mind? Well, absolutely. There was, there was obviously some, some left in the tank. I mean, guys, but having said that, guys were, were right on the edge. It was uh, for both teams, I think. And, you know, they had, a, they had an older team. And if you remember, uh, there was an extra day that was added in, which I still think to this day benefited them a little bit, but um, uh, along with some other issues. But um, you know what? It, it, it was a hard-fought series, without a doubt. There was a lot of uh, contact. There was a lot of great skating, great hockey, a lot of behind-the-scenes chippiness, a lot of after-the-whistle chippiness, just typical playoff hockey anything you could do to get under the skin of any of the players or or you know set off nagging injuries or whatever whatever it may be but uh um you know going into uh msg that uh, that final game you know prior to that they'd already had made up uh, championship uh, uh t-shirts and and hats and everything for for the previous games that were there so we knew that was going on, so that was more motivation for us. And and then we get there, and you know we have a couple couple days rest where we get to to uh, to New York, enjoy the moment, and enjoy some time in New York. And then of course, uh, you know every time every time our bus uh, would go to the to the rink, we'd have a, a, a police escort every single time, and it was kind of kind of interesting because I don't think any of us experienced anything like that uh, up to that point. But um, you know, great place to play hockey. Uh, the fans are amazing as well in New York. They can be a little, little offside once in a while, but uh, you know, I, I, I'll have to say because I, I experienced playing there, they they appreciate good, good effort, no matter the visiting team or the or the home team, and they were just, uh, you know, obviously appreciated, uh, you know, what kind of series it was, but they were also relieved that they ended up winning, and and we ended up coming up short. Yeah, I, I mean, I can say that about Boston too. I mean, the fans, yeah. you, you, yeah, you, you, you don't like them. Yeah, you don't like their fans, but you really do respect and appreciate the atmosphere and just how passionate they are about their team, you know? Uh, they, but They really are, you know? And, you know, we have those fans here, but, you know, that's the fans that, that uh, players love. I mean, we love all fans, don't get me wrong, but we love the fans that really appreciate, uh, you know, even if, if the team's losing, it, it sucks losing, and the guys know that. And, and you know, there's no worse worse thing than than losing. Everybody wants to win, but uh, you put out a hard effort to, as hard as you can. And the fans recognize that. That's a that's a, another another feeling on a different level, uh, and and very much appreciated by a lot of players. Absolutely, man. And I mean, speaking of fan moments, you coming out in the gear, Canucks 50th season, and you know the the great uh, Pat Quinn tribute, and you're out there with Gino and stuff too. Uh, just a magical night for the fans, and and for you especially, I, I'm sure. Just incredible uh, ovation that you got coming out as well. And I mean, there's so many more stories that that I want to dive into. Perhaps we'll have to do a part two here, Kirk. Um, <laughs> no but, problem. Uh, I'm into it. 
I love it, buddy. Um, okay, well, you know what? We, we Unfortunately, we're against the clock here. we got to go to the break. But truly appreciate okay. you coming on, buddy. Thank you so much, and we'll talk very soon. No problem. Let's do part two. One of my favorite memories so far of this season, the all the 50th anniversary stuff, and again, Kurt McLean, the nostalgia of him going back out of the ice. Interesting to know that those were replica pads, and he said, I would never be able to be a goalie wearing those things. Yeah, that, that was very interesting. When he came out, I'm like, oh, he's got all the original gear going on. I did want to ask him if he's ever washed that helmet. Have you ever tried to wash a helmet before? Uh, no. I don't think it can be done. No, I, yeah. I was it, saying I, I did this bond hockey trip, and I'm worried about washing my favorite toque, but it needs to be washed. No, that's fair. Toque, no problem. A helmet, no, it's done for. All right, well, fantastic stuff there. Great insight about how important it is to be traded with someone you know, too, with the Greg Adams deal. That was uh, interesting stuff. And again, the great, he said, Greg Adams not only being from BC, but also just being a good team. And the fact that he didn't know he was traded with them until he got on the plane. He's like, oh, there's Greg Adams. Yeah. You know, it's got to make the trip a lot easier when you see a buddy hopping on the plane. All right. In just a few minutes, we will be back with Green Man Radio on Sportsnet 650. Taking your Twitter questions. If you want a question, shoot it at us at the Green Men, at Adam Forsyth, and at Sulla Vancouver. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Welcome back to Green Men Radio with Adam Forsyth and Ryan Sullivan on Sportsnet 650, brought to you by PastimeSports.ca. You got to lock to Sportsnet 650. This is Green Men Radio. I'm Adam Forsyth, joined by Ryan Sullivan, a.k.a. Force and Sully. One more segment to go on the show. And uh, looking back, another couple of great interviews from Brent Sopel and Kurt McLean, former Canucks. And you wouldn't really maybe count them as like the, they're not Hall of Famers. They may be not on top of the hockey world, but... They had some great stories. They had some illustrious careers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Brent Sopel wins a cup with the Chicago Blackhawks. We talked about that, like, ridiculous, almost phantom goal that Patrick Kane scored to win it. Uh, So very cool hearing his rendition from the other end of the rink. Uh, You know, then he goes over to Russia, plays a few years over there, gets some random stories there. Kirk McLean, uh, just pretty crazy. I mean, the guy, extremely young age, comes off two knee surgeries out of New Jersey, probably thinking his career's on the ropes, comes to Vancouver, lights it up, uh, plays 11 years here. Uh, obviously, the 94 Cup run, we got deep into that. Just some great stuff from the two of those guys. It was awesome. And uh, one of McLean's former teams, the New Jersey Devils in the news. Here's some news and notes we didn't really get to earlier in the show. But again, this this whole coaching and GMs being fired around the league... I've never seen anything like this, but this week alone, the Devils firing GM Ray Shero and the Vegas Golden Knights firing coach Gerard Gallant, the seventh coach to be fired this season. The record for an entire year, including like at the end of the year when they fire everyone, is 11. We might see that this year. <laughs> yeah, like we really a might. third of the league. It's ridiculous. But let's start with the Ray Shero one in New Jersey. Uh, any initial thoughts, Sully, as to why the Devils have completely shaken things up? I know that it was a slow start. They fired their coach, and now Ray Shero's gone as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, when, when you're having the kind of year they are, or the kind of few years they have, it, it's kind of you got to kick the tires on every little thing to see what can change the fortunes. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for Ray Shiro, he gets the bitter end here. The Taylor Hall deal, not sure I fully agree on that one, but, uh, you know, obviously... In terms decent. of the return or... Yeah, in, turn, in terms of the return. I mean, at the same time, I mean, Hall hasn't really done much uh, in Arizona. So at the at the moment, it's kind of a wash, but... Uh, you know, you have a, an MVP caliber player, and and you you kick him out. I mean, I, I don't know. I just I just feel like for a team that's as brutal as they are, you should be hanging on to the stars for at least a little while, and maybe cash them in for a little bit more come trade deadline time. That's my two cents. 
Yeah, I think I bet. I think I pulled the trigger a little early. Is what I'm saying. I'm willing to bet that Taylor Hall made it clear to them he wasn't going to resign, and then they just kind of like, all right, well, we got to make the move. But my biggest thing with it is it's very bizarre that they let Ray Shiro trade their star player, their fran- franchise player, use that term loosely, and then they fire him. Like, well, if that yeah. was the plan all along, why wouldn't you get somebody in? So now they have an interim head coach, an interim general manager, mm-hmm. and there's not really a sense of direction. It's a little weird. Their owners are the same owners that own the Philadelphia Sixers, the 76ers. Oh, yeah. And okay. that team was a disaster for years, and they kind of embraced the tank, and now they've turned it right. around, and they're they're very good. So maybe is that the direction they're going? Like, let's just... Yeah, Let's I mean, see what happens. I, I think you're onto something. I mean, you just got to keep rolling the dice at the draft. I mean, you look at the Oilers once they got all those first rounders. Obviously, they didn't pick right, you know. But I mean, it's in terms of the Sixers. Obviously, they get Joel Embiid, they get uh, Ben Simmons, and that turns everything around. So you just got to hope for these guys to turn to leaders. Jack Hughes obviously uh, could be the start of something great over there. So that's the way it is, though. I mean, teams become laughable for a few years. Everybody points the finger at them. But then, you know, they turn it up. That's just the way that the NHL's gone in the salary cap era. You kind of have to roll the dice and hope you get lucky with these rookies. It is, uh, Sportsnet's Elliot Freeman did his uh, weekly 31 Thoughts column, and this week he pointed out that he was kind of hearing maybe the analytics guys, the young guys, the guys our age, have gotten in the ear of ownership, and they maybe went behind Ray Shiro and kind of got their words in, and that's maybe the analytics route they're going. So we kind of curious to see how the devil's thing shakes out. I do like that they are giving uh, Martin Brodeur an expanded role because he clearly has a hockey mind and he's not the interim GM, that's Tom Fitzgerald, but I think he's going to have a pretty big voice in the organization and the direction moving forward. Although yeah. that we saw that didn't exactly work out with Trevor Linden and the Canucks. Well, I mean, you could say that, but at the same time, I mean, tr- bringing in Trevor Linden was a great PR move at the time. I mean, they had just gassed uh, Tortorella. I mean, Gillis was getting canned as well. You know, this team was looking like it was starting to crumble a bit. And then they said, hey, by the way, we're bringing back a fan favorite. And everyone just completely forgot. It's like, oh, Trevor's back. So at the time, it kind of worked out all right. And that's what's good to see with Brodeur is that there's really not too many familiar faces for Devils fans out there through the years. Brodeur, definitely the main one. I mean, you could bring in uh, Scott Stevens or something like that to play that kind of role too. But yeah, there's not too many faces in that franchise that you remember through the years. Uh, Sean Burke, Chris Terreri, I don't know. But, Sean, uh, Sean Burke's a guy who's like angling for a GM job. Yeah, you, you could Burke that, no problem. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it's good to see that on, on the PR front, they're at least trying to make some moves and, and, and get some more people in the in the building there. Sean Burke pretty much sabotaged any chance he ever had of a GM job. I don't know if you saw this over the summer. He ended up deleting his Twitter account. But when they announced that Bill Guerin got hired by the Wild, yeah. he like tweeted out because he was a finalist. Or yeah. wanted to be, yeah, and he just like tweeted a bunch of nonsense about how what a dumb franchise it was. Yeah, that's not the best move. Um, Twitter can really bite you, and yeah. I mean to be honest, I mean if anybody follows me on Twitter, uh, all you know eight or nine hundred people, which I'm quite proud of. Let's be honest, but all they get to see is just whiny rants on the Los Angeles Chargers. I keep it pretty clean, pretty PG on Twitter. I just voice my displeasure with Philip Rivers. That's about it. And well, because you save all your insane rants for your burner accounts. Exactly. I mean, that's that's absolutely the way you do it. Canuck fan sixty nine sixty nine. How did you know that was me? How did you know? Uh, coming up in just a few minutes on Green Man Radio again, right here on Sportsnet six fifty and all the podcasting platforms. We are going to discuss the best hockey movies of all time. We want your opinion on this at the Green Men, at Adam Forsyth and at Silla Vancouver. Hit us up with your thoughts, but in just a few minutes, we'll discuss that. But before we get there, I want to get to the other coach you won. We discussed Gerard Glant, fired by the Vegas Golden Knights. 
four points out of first place in the Pacific Division, but they have lost four in a row. That Pacific Division race, as we discussed earlier in the show, is so close. They went from being in the lead to out over a span of four games, and apparently yeah. uh, GM Kelly McCrimmon says, you know what, glance out, and they bring in Peter Dubois. So what do you make of that move? I wonder if there's something more behind this that they're not saying, and and I am not, I'll use the word allegedly, and I will write it in concrete, chisel it in stone, uh, but, you know, you look at the coaches right now that, that are getting gassed, there's something else going on behind the scenes, and this could be a case where the Vegas Golden Knights are just getting out in front of it. Um, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not accusing Gerard Gallant of anything. Uh, I think he's a great head coach, but perhaps there's something like that because this seems like somebody just got, you know, a little happy trigger finger there. And you look at, I mean, let's switch sports here. You look at the Red Sox. They just gassed, uh, Alex Cora because this thing, this whole Astros thing, cause they're trying to get out in front of it. They, they don't want to get all the bad PR. So right now it's interesting, you know, the PR departments are really controlling, uh, you know, the management right now. You don't you don't want to get that uh, that bad look, so everyone's trying to get out in front of it. That's that's my two cents. I don't know if that's the case. I'll throw it allegedly one more time. Um, but uh, but it just seems like that. That's that's the feeling that I get. All right, I'm going to go back and edit out all the allegedly's and just have you <laughs> get sued by the Galant family. Yeah, I yeah, appreciate that. Thanks. I Yeah, I don't really know what to make of it. It's, it's a bizarre one. Again, everyone has got this really itchy trigger finger to blame coaches right now. Like Travis Green is now one of the longest tenured coaches in the NHL. It's it's yeah, it's really weird. Wrong. he's the longest tenured coach in the Pacific Division, mm-hmm. which is just bonkers. Gallant has never been known to be an analytics guy. That's why he got kind of kicked out of Florida, and maybe that's the route that Vegas is going a little bit more is analytics. But yeah, I still think yeah. Vegas is the best team in the Pacific Division. Um, so yeah, it, I, I don't I don't think you can argue with his success though in such a short time in Vegas. I mean, goes to the Cup Finals, goes to the playoffs. Two years ago, he won the Jack Adams Award. Exactly, exactly. So, and and at this point, I don't think you could say that he's lost the room. I mean, they're not in turmoil at the moment. So, I don't know. I I think there's something else perhaps behind the scenes that's just, that's just my hunch. Something percolating. Yeah, percolating. I'm not saying it's happened, but that's just the feeling that I get given the circumstances. And on the surface, everything looks absolutely fine with the Vegas Golden Knights. They just lost a few games. So, Gerard Gallant probably has a chance to air a few grievances at some point down the line. As do I. It's time for the Yuck Yucks Vancouver's airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. (laughs) Now, you're going to hear about it. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. This is the airing of grievances brought to you by Yuck Yucks Vancouver. To see which comics are on their way to the comedy club, check them out across social media at Yuck Yucks Van or online anytime at yuckyucks.com. The airing of grievances brought to you by the fine folks at Yuck Yucks. Melissa Villasenor is going to be on stage from February 13th to the 15th. Three shows coming at you as part of the Just for Laughs Comedy Fest. Once again, February 13th to 15th. Get in on those tickets. Check it out. Yuckyucks.com slash Vancouver for more info or any of their social streams at Yuck Yucks Van for more info. And now you're going to take the reins. This is the fifth episode of Green Man Radio, as yeah. we've mentioned a couple of times. And I have this is your bread and butter. This is where you go off. But I, this is, I'm jumping in here. This I've seen that you've trying. been a little cheesed lately. I am something's pu- Something's pushing the buttons, I'm, grinding the gears. I am cheddar and mozza cheesed. I want a chance to jump in. For Big any choices. listeners outside of the Vancouver area, just an FY, when there's even a hint of snow in the area, mass chaos ensues. Now, I drive a Volkswagen Jetta. That's right, radio salary. 
Yet somehow, <laughs> I am more capable on the roads than 90% of our drivers. It's a joke. People have no idea how to drive. No, you don't break into an icy curb going 60 an hour. No, you don't uh, tailgate even bumper-to-bumper traffic because guess what? It's icy. Cars are going to slide. And the drivers aren't even the worst part. It's the cities affected by the snow. You know snow's in the forecast. It only happens a couple times a year. How are you not prepared? The main artery for driving anywhere in the Metro Vancouver area is Highway 1. It is currently a sheet of ice. In two days of driving my usual 40-minute commute downtown, I've seen zero plows on the highway. My commute yesterday was three hours. I was late to work. That's why I missed the Brent Sopel interview. Sorry, Brent. Thank you, Sully. (laughs) And today, it was 90 minutes. It's a joke. Figure it out. It's also dangerous. Idiot drivers on the road. It's downright stupid. That's my grievance of the week. Wow. Nice. Stupid. To be honest... It's probably a good thing that you missed the Brent Sopel interview because he asked if that 13-year-old from years ago was there that said to cut his hair. I was like, no, no, don't worry about it. (laughs) He was about to hang up the phone. Uh, Wow. I don't don't even know if I ever... Like, I agree on all counts. I just want to throw that out there. How is the highway not plowed? Not even plowed, but a sheet of ice. Like, side streets, even like main city streets, I get it. Like, there's only so many hours in the day. But the, the one road that should be the main road taken care of. Yeah. And in turn, we got falling ice off bridges. Yeah. Oh. Can, can I just, you know what? I'm just going to add to it. Usually in the airing of grievances, you know, there, there's two separate arguments coming at you. But I just kind of want to add to yours a little bit. Or just, you know, kind of kind of just go off it a little bit. I was coming back over the weekend. We talked about this on the Coquihalla Highway. You did the same thing. And you know what? You go in the slow lane unless you're absolutely, uh, you know, equipped for driving fast in the snow. If you've got the chains, if you've got the right tires, no problem. If you're used to it, absolutely. But there are these morons heading back to the city in their like $100,000 stupid Mercedes SUVs and stuff. That Mercedes is not stupid, but these people that are driving them. Please sponsor us. Yeah, no, I, I love Mercedes. Don't get me wrong. But these people driving these cars, these luxury vehicles that are blowing snow up at you and just gunning it, and then two minutes later, you see them in the ditch. It's absolutely ridiculous. If you don't know how to drive, get the hell off the road. It's ridiculous. We got enough transit going on out there. You know, pick your route. You want to take West Coast Express, SkyTrain, buses. If you don't know how to drive in the snow, do not do it. It does not matter if your car is equipped or not. If you're not equipped to do it, Get the hell off the road. You should say equipped a couple more times. Equipped. Equipped, equipped. Get <laughs> well, off the road. Also, TransLink. Shutting down SkyTrans. I was like, well, maybe I can SkyTrain into work. No, that's closed. There's no option there. It, insanity. <laughs> I'm all fired up. But, I, you know, I do want to say, though, I mean, I, I just took the train, and I, and I was delayed 15 minutes at a certain station. But I will admit, TransLink is doing all they can because you can see people running back and forth That's there not in, what in you tweeted from vests. your burner account. <laughs> Canuck6969. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I, I put selfies up, too. That's probably why you know it's me. But no, no, TransLink, I, I, I'm going to give a grain of salt. They're doing all right. They're, they're doing a good job, best they can with what they have. But it's the drivers that are making us crazy, clearly, because they have no idea what the hell they're doing. They're not equipped. I'm I'm more impressed with, like, I live out in Surrey. The city of Surrey has been doing a great job keeping the roads clear, and then as soon as you get to the highway and you feel like you're driving over, like, I feel like I'm driving down Water Street in Gastown where it's just all bricks. Like, that's what it sounds like on the... It's stupid. Anyways, I got far too carried away from that that we're almost out of time <laughs> and we don't even have time really for this movie thing. So let's get into it and then we'll we'll circle back in a, a future episode. Sudden death, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Done. All right. So again, we asked you, hit us up at the Green Men. What is your favorite or 
what is your favorite hockey movie of all time? I was going to say best, but that doesn't count because that's clearly, obviously, Sudden Death by Jean-Claude mm-hmm. Van Damme. Yes. What's the best hockey movie? What's your favorite hockey movie of all time? Uh, Sudden Death, is that your go-to right away? I, I will give honorable mention to Mighty Ducks 1 and 2. I thought the third was annoying. The guy and the, th- the, the guy that did the play-by-play, the little kid that brought in Paul Correa, if he's not in the movie, that's a great film. But he is the most annoying play-by-play I've ever heard. That's a great point, Paul. And it just drove me insane. So, no, I'm going sudden death, 100%. A fireman who just gets caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. That Mighty Ducks announcer grew up to be Rick Jenneret. Get out of here. <laughs> There's no chance that's true. Rick Jenneret's a legend. Uh, I got to agree with you. I have watched Mighty Ducks 1 and 2 uh, a million times. It's it's the best. And 3, yeah, it's a bit of a write-off. Uh, at District 5 underscore hit us up on our green man twitter I, account and said what was your favorite favorite mighty duck we got about 45 seconds what okay i just and, and who was your favorite mighty duck that's fulton reed obviously but um what happened to charlie's mom and gordon bombay in d2 there was some they're all they're all still in the movie she's in d3 what's going on there did did he dump her that's what I want. I want the side story. I want the spinoff. The ESPN 30 for 30. Yeah, and you know what? It can be the Gordon Bombay story. It could be We could do G1, G2, and G3. I want the spinoff. Sorry. Uh, all right. Mighty Ducks 1 and 2, yep. Uh, <laughs> Low-key, most valuable primate, MVP. Great, <sighs> great movie. Film the Vancouver. Film uh, the North Vancouver. Absolutely. And on that winning note, that is how we wrap up episode 5 of Green Man Radio on Sportsnet 650. We're back next week, Wednesday, January 22nd. A couple more great guests on tap. We'll keep it a bit of a mystery for you. And don't forget, Marcus Naslin will be signing autographs February 9th at 11 a.m. on Pastime Sports and Games at their new Metro Town location. It is going to be phenomenal. We'll be there. Come hang out. Let's go. See you next week. Bye-bye.